season, okay? All right, so I'm going to open us up with a scripture today uh, from Colossians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just read this for you. It says this. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again uh, for joining us today. I'm just going to get right into this. Um, just going to get right into it. So today, as we, as we push on in this summer series called Let Me Explain, um, I'd like to talk about and explain something that's probably extremely familiar to each and every one of us, and that is the Bible. The Bible. And I want to talk about the Bible for two primary reasons. First of all, it's because the Bible is, without a doubt, the most important and influential book ever written for those in and outside of the church. Now, how can I say that it's the most important book for those in and outside of the church, especially considering there's a whole lot of people in the world who think the Bible is just a fairy tale? Well, it's because the Bible, if you didn't know, is the most printed and widely distributed book in the history of the world. The Bible, as a book, and through the church, has also literally transformed society and is ultimately responsible for the Western civilization as we know it. I recently heard an interview with a cultural sociologist named Jordan Peterson, who does not claim to be a Christian, by the way, um, but he was talking about how without the Bible, if it didn't exist, neither would the, the modern world which we occupy, because the Bible determines and has determined the foundation and framework for what's true in our culture. Here's the quote. It's on the screen. It says this. He says, it's not that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the prerequisite and manifestation of truth, which makes it far more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of truth. And I think it's not just literally the case. In fact, I think it can't be otherwise. This is it. There is only one way to solve the problem of perception. There has to be truth for the Western world. And historically, the Bible has been that foundation. And everything else in the greatest society that has ever lived in human history has been built upon the scriptures. Our societal value of law and justice, caring for the poor, suffrage came from the scriptures, the abolishing of slavery came from the scriptures, modern science and medicine came from the scriptures, even public education system, it came from Sunday school out of the scriptures. It was all built on the Bible. And, and yes, there have been plenty of people that have abused the scriptures and ignored the truth of scripture um, to create systems that were not in line with the text. That is absolutely true, but no one can argue the progress that the world has made in the wake of this book. And so that's the first thing. I want to talk about the Bible because independent of faith and religion and spirituality, the Bible matters and deserves to be respected, if nothing more than its 
than its impact on the world. So that's first. Secondly, though, I want to talk about the Bible because we know as Christians that the Bible is actually so much more than just a book that changed history. As Christians, our confession is that it is a holy book. In fact, we would say that it, it's, it's the only true holy book in the world in all history and that there are no other religious texts that share the final truth of God. The Bible is a pillar of our faith. It's a gift from God and an incredible resource, a necessary resource for what it means to follow Jesus. And this is the Christian confession. Amen. Still, even with all of its importance, all of the things the Bible has done, all the things the Bible has, has done to shape the world that we occupy, the Bible is still something that many Christians don't actually know much about. It's so available and so common, and yet it's also something a lot of Christians don't often read or even know how to read, regardless of how many Bibles they might have on the shelf or on their phones. And I hope that's not coming across as condescending because this reality, honestly, is my history too. I, I've been a Christian a long time, and for most of my life, I did not prioritize reading the Bible. Growing up in the church, I knew a lot of stories, and I believed them. I did. But I didn't always know where to find them, and I didn't know how they all kind of pieced together. And so the majority of my Bible reading was, was just Sunday mornings at, at Sunday school. Now, as I got older, as I got older, my interest in the Bible changed a bit. As I moved beyond stories and started reading and studying for more nefarious reasons, like winning Bible trivia, <laughs> or for real, debating my friends. Like, I, I remember in college, I was at the University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh, the first time around. That's an important detail. The first time around. <laughs> Some of you know that, but... And when I was at, at, at school, this was a state school, and, and I had a whole crew of friends uh, that just loved debating theological positions like the end times or like predestination or spiritual gifts. It was all very intense. But the most intense moments we had when we would all rally together under the banner of creationism, okay? And there was this time at school, again, this was a state school, and so on campus, there was this time where one of the university biology professors like hosted this debate in one of the lecture halls. And I remember all of my friends from campus ministry, all my church friends, we all got our Bibles, okay? And we made it our way down uh, to, the, to the lecture hall, uh, to just ready to pounce on anything this professor would say. For every point that he would make, we would heckle. And we would be aggressive, citing all sorts of verses to try to prove him wrong. But in the process of trying to be right, y'all, we were all sorts of wrong. We were jerks with Bibles, trying to make it say something it didn't because we didn't actually know what it was saying or why it said it. Now, listen, I'm not assuming you're anything like me. I'm not assuming you've ever been a jerk with a Bible. Huh? What do you think? I'm not assuming you've ever been immature with the scriptures. No doubts. But here's the deal. I do know that we all have questions, that we all have perhaps misunderstandings or misinterpretations of this book for what it is and what it's for. And so for today, with our time today, I'd like to explain the Bible for all of us through four key questions. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. First, I want to address what is the Bible 
How did we get it? Why do we read it? And then finally, how do we read it? So first, what is it? How to get here? Why do we read it? Why do we spend time reading this? And how do we read it? And I've got a lot to cover, so please forgive me if I get a little broad on some of the details, because it's my goal in this that we'd all come to a, a, a larger and more full understanding for what the Bible is, and not in this moment become instant experts of every scripture. Got it? I'm not here to cook you dinner. I'm here to teach you to cook and teach you why cooking matters, I guess. That, that made sense in my mind I, more than it did through my words. Okay, well, let's get started with what is the Bible. And I'm going to hit this question from a couple different angles, but this will be primarily information for you, context and information. And so first of all, if you're taking notes, the Bible is a book. In fact, it's a book of books. If you didn't know, in the Greek, the word Bible is bibulos, which literally means books. And so the Bible is a book of books. It's a collection of how many? Anyone know? Good. 66 different books broken into two testaments, the old and the new, all coming together to tell one massive, overarching story. The greatest story ever told, written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek by approximately 40 different authors over the course of close to 2,000 years. And this is the Bible. Now let's take a look at how it's structured. You can see this on the screen here. Um, Again, if you didn't know, the word testament, which we see old and new, it, it carries with it a few different meanings in our modern English understanding, but within the context of the Bible, the word testament simply means covenant and witness. Okay? Covenant and witness. So the two testaments were meant to be witnesses to God's covenant work in the world. The Old Testament focused on God's covenant work in the story of Israel, the New Testament was a witness to God's covenant work as Jesus and in the story of the church. But it's important to remember, again, that both of these testaments flow together to be one massive overarching story that complete one another. And the story in the Bible from kind of 10,000 feet, it can be broken down into these broad chapters or categories of God's covenant work. And you can see this on the screen, starting first with creation, and then the fall, or sin in the garden, then the promise extended to Abraham. Then we see the Exodus. The Exodus brings us to judges and kings in the promised land. From there we get the prophets in exile and we get wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Now, when we jump into the New Testament, we see that Jesus starting things off in the four gospels, which means good news. And then we jump into the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Church and then letters to the church before we wrap things up in the end, talking about new creation. So creation to new creation. Creation to, to, to new creation. Now, as Christians, it's our confession that this is literally, this literal book of books, it's our confession that, that this tells the story of God's covenant work in the world. But we also believe that this book is, is meant to be written, uh, the written word of God. And so while it's a literal book of stories, we believe as Christians that it's also the inspired written word of God. Now, what does this mean? Let me explain. Some of the language that we use to describe this confession is that we believe the Bible is inerrant, which means without error. And we also believe that the Bible is infallible, meaning unfailing, faultless, 
perfect and true. And so it's not just a book of books, it's also God's perfect written word that he gave us on purpose. And we'll get into some of the ramifications uh, of this confession we hold in just a bit. But just keep that in mind again, that we believe this is one broad story, and in it we believe that the Bible is exactly the way God wanted it to be. Cool. This is the Bible. Now some of you might be thinking, hold on a second, just stick with me, and we'll get there. So, this is the Bible. Now, next question that comes up uh, is, how do we get it? This is something that I learned a lot about this past week. And so I just want to give you just a bit of history lesson in this. So, Old Testament, first half of our Bibles, the story of God's covenant work in Israel. Um, the Old Testament as we know it was compiled by the Jews somewhere around 100 B.C. Now, there were pieces of it, like the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, that was kind of in and out of the story of Israel through the whole, the whole thing. And then we see something called the Tanakh, which is uh, the, the Torah, which also included the prophets of Israel, the wisdom literature that dates to around 400 B.C. But overall, what we have in our scriptures today and what was used and affirmed by Jesus and by the early church, it dates to around 100 B.C. Now, moving forward into the New Testament, as Jesus taught and fulfilled this old covenant, the Old Testament, as he fulfilled this, we see these writers putting to page all that Jesus did and what Jesus said in the Gospels. And then on top of that, we had other writers that told the story of the church, the acts of the church, and then others that wrote letters uh, to the church to encourage them to be faithful. So there were literally hundreds of books and letters after the Old Testament that were kind of circulating around the church. And so how do we get from hundreds of letters to what we have in front of us today? Let me explain. As the church continued to grow in the first and second century, just like a game of telephone, the message started to drift a bit. And folks started having questions about what was actually true and what actually happened and what was right and what was real and how they should live in response. And so the early church in the first century, first and second century, they put together these councils to kind of go through and vet the gospels and the letters that were being passed around to the churches. And from there, they put together what's called a canon for scripture. And the word canon just means measuring stick. Okay? So they put together this measuring stick to help kind of create a constant for what should be included in the scriptures. Now, again, I know this is a lot, but just, just hang with me. I'm almost done. And so from its first draft, the Bible's first draft in around AD 170, up till its final form in 397 AD, these church leaders, they, they kind of implemented as a measuring stick four primary criteria for what would be included in the Bible. The first filter that they used was that the writer of the book or letter had to be an apostle, meaning someone that was a direct follower and sent person by Jesus, an apostle in the first century, or have a connection to an apostle, basically writing on their behalf. Again, bringing it back to the first century. The second filter that the, the canon implementers used was that the book or letter had to be generally accepted by the church at large. The third filter was that the book or letter had to be consistent with other uh, accepted writings and doctrine. And then the fourth would be that the book or letter had to bear evidence of the moral or spiritual values that reflected the work of the Holy Spirit. So four filters 
in our Bibles, specifically the new, because the old was already affirmed by Jesus through his teaching. When they were putting it all together, they said, all right, it has to be written by someone who knew Jesus, who was sent by Jesus, um, or had been affirmed by Jesus as an apostle in the first century. Then they said it has to, has to be affirmed by the church, it has to be consistent with church doctrine, and it has to reflect the continued work, covenant work of God through the Holy Spirit. And what's incredible, I know, I'm, I'm kind of in the weeds here, but I love it, okay? What's incredible is that with the practice, the modern practice of textual criticism, we know for a fact that 99.5% of what we have today has been translated from texts in the original language that meet the four criteria of the canon. We don't, what we don't have in our Bibles is a game of telephone, so don't let anyone tell you that. What we don't have is a game of telephone. It's a direct translation from the original documents, both old and new, and y'all, there is no other ancient book no other ancient book, or much less book of books, that has that same percentage of accuracy. It's not even close. And so, so what does this mean for us as the church? Well, it means that you can trust it, okay? You can trust the material, and you can also trust the assembly of the book of books. And not just because of what we found or how we put it together, but because God literally had his hand in what we have before us. Now, how can we know this? How can we know this as Christians? Well, the, the Christian confession is that Jesus affirmed the Old Testament and that he commissioned the New Testament through his spirit. So he confirmed the old through his teaching and he commissioned the new through his spirit. And so what we have now is what he wanted us to have. And this is how we got our Bibles from a very broad level. Now, I know it's a lot of detail and a lot of context. Let's bring things down to earth just a bit for our third question, and that is, why do we read it? Why do we read it? Another way to ask this question is, what is it for? What is it for? Well, just like every other week in this series, the immediate answer to why we read it, why we do anything, is because God tells us to, right? But, but digging a little deeper and begging the question, so, so why does God tell us to? Why does God tell us to read the scriptures? Why do we have them, and why does God tell us to read them? Well, I see this coming down to two primary things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We read the Bible to know what God is like, and we read the Bible to know how to live faithful. Pastor Jeff, a year ago, preached on this, um, on why we read the Bible. And if you want a little bit more detail that I'm not hitting today, you can go back a year on our podcast and dig a little deeper on some of this stuff. But for today, this is what we're hitting. We read the Bible to know what God is like, to know his truth, to know what he has said and what he has done, and to know how to live faithful in reply to what we've seen of God. And so let, let's dig a little deeper on this real quick, starting with to know what God is like. I don't, I don't know all of your backgrounds, but I need to just say this, that God wants to be known by his people. God doesn't want to be known about. God wants to be known intimately by his people. And while there are a lot of ways to get to know God, there is none greater than the witness we see in the scriptures. A witness that is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that shows us God's heart for the world and his people, 
a witness that shows the truth of who God is and what God has done in the world across generations, a witness that reveals his faithfulness and what he says is the best life can be, a witness that reveals his glory and story and good work, a witness that carries his covenant from, from creation all the way to new creation and points to Jesus the whole way along. This is why we read, to know God and his truth, to know what he has done, to know what he has said, to know who he is, and to understand his truth. And, that, and that's the first thing, to know what God is like. And then in response to knowing what God is like, this is number two. We read so we might know how to live faithful in response to what we know about God and his truth. God wants us to know him and, and, and be like him and live faithfully to what he says is true and best and right. And let me just give you a couple scriptures to back this up, starting in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have, been given, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is used to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We got one more here from Psalm 119. This is David. He writes, he says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. My life consistently hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. We read the Bible to know how to live according to what God says is best. The Bible teaches us what's true and right and real and makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. The Bible is a lamp to guide us and a light to our path. The Bible helps us know God's expectations, his regulations, his commands and decrees. But don't let the world confuse you on this. We understand these things, but not as a means of limitation not as a means of oppression or marginalization or keeping you from the fun you want to have in your life. No, we read as wisdom to receive salvation and prepare us to do every good work. It is for good. And if there's one thing I need you to know today beyond any detail or context or history, I know everyone likes sermons in different ways, but if there's one thing I need you to know is that we read the Bible because the Bible is good and it's good for us. The Bible is good for us and it's good for you. In fact, I believe it's essential to live faithfully to your confession as a Christian and that's why we have it. And that's why we must read it, because the Bible is your ultimate authority for faith and conduct. 
That's what it is, and that's why we read it. We do not have the Bible to win debates. Try telling me 22-year-old David that, right? Take a time machine. First thing I'd say, you do not have the Bible to win debates. We do not read the Bible to prove aggressive theological positions. We do not read the Bible as a science textbook or as a moral checklist or to try to put God into a box. That's not what it's for. The Bible is given by God to know God and to know what it takes to be true and to live faithfully to that truth. And this is ultimately why we read the Bible. Got it? Now, this brings us up to our final piece for today, and that is how. How do we read the Bible? And this is, super, this is a super important question, because if the Bible is the final authority for what is true and right and real, for faith and conduct in your life, which means if you're a Christian, then everything in your life now submits to the authority that we see in these pages. If that is the reality of your confession, if that's the case, then you better know how to read it. Otherwise, you might find yourself living under the abuses of someone else's misinterpretation or even abusing others based on yours. You need to know how to read the book. And so how do we read it? And how can we know that we're reading it right? Well, pause for a second, because this is... As, as I approach this last question, I want you to know that I'm, I'm approaching this with really big open hands and submission to God. Because over the course of my life, I never thought I was reading it wrong. No one does, and yet we all have. And so as we look to how, I don't want to push my own views on you, but rather I want to present you with some methods and tools for how to get the most out of your reading so you might accurately know God more and live faithful in reply. And so these three methods, these three tools I want to give to you for reading are spirit, context, and application. One more time. Can you say that with me real quick? Spirit, context, and application. Let's start with spirit. If you want to read your Bible right, if you want to read your Bible the right way, you must first remember that the Holy Spirit not only inspired the writing of the text, the authors and the assembly, but the Holy Spirit also inspires your reading. The Holy Spirit within you wants to lead you through the scriptures to better know God and know how to live faithful. And, th and this is the, the primary difference between Christians reading the Bible and someone who doesn't believe, where, th where they might read and, and, and find it interesting or helpful or, or you know, maybe even oppressive or silly. When we read the text through the Spirit's work, God moves in power. We are convicted. We are changed and transformed. We grow in love for God, and we grow in love for one another. When we read it, the wisdom jumps off the page and plants seeds of faith in our hearts. When we read the Bible, the message about Christ in all its richness fills our lives because of the Spirit's work in the writing and our reading. And because of this work, like we heard in our opening scripture, there's power. Let me read this to you one more time from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the, two, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one 
to whom we are accountable. And that's it. If you want to read the scripture right, it starts with the Spirit. It starts with the Spirit. But what does that look like practically? Because you might be thinking, oh yeah, that makes sense, but what does that actually mean? Let me explain. It starts with you as you approach your Bible, as you approach it, taking a moment to quiet your heart and to pray something like this. I've got it on the screen. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me through the Scripture. Open my eyes to your truth so I might know God more and live more faithful. Let's all say this together real quick. Holy Spirit, speak to me through the Scripture. Open my eyes to your truth so I might know God more and live more faithful. And this is how we read through the leading of the Spirit, and this must come first. Always bringing it back to the Spirit's inspiration and the Spirit's translation. Got it? Cool. That comes first. Second, to read your Bible right, we must understand the context for what is being written. The context for what's being written. We have to remember that the Bible isn't just a book. It's a book of books, and that means that there are all sorts of different genres and authors and centuries and millennia that carry different cultural norms and understandings. There are different languages, different semantic domains, meaning there are different words and different illustrations. The Bible wasn't written to 21st century Americans, so we can't read it as such. We need to dig into the context. And the best way I've seen this practice is described by answering these questions. And you can write these down. Take a picture of it with your phone, because this is important. Hit the next slide for me, Tessa. These are the four questions for context that you need to look at. Who is writing? Who is writing? Why are they writing? Who is the intended audience? And what was happening around them? If you can answer these questions, you're far more likely to read the Bible right and come to know God more clearly. Who is writing? Why are they writing? Who is the audience and what was happening around them? Let's just do a quick example from the book one, chapter one. Here's some practice. Anyone know who wrote Genesis chapter one? Moses, good, you guys are great. Who's the audience, anyone? Israel, great, cool. What was happening around them? What was happening in Israel at the time? So here's the deal. Moses wrote to Israel, but what was happening to them? Why was he writing? Well, Israel had just been freed from captivity, right? By a God they didn't know. They've been slaves for 400 years, indoctrinated into the culture of Egypt with many gods, gods who saw them as pawns for their own enjoyment. So here's Moses. He takes a moment, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the the, the Torah, and, and he takes a moment to remind Israel about who their God really is. It's a God who, who made everything with order, a God who loves and calls everything good, a God who then makes people in his own image and gives them purpose and identity, not as slaves, but as his stewards out in the world. And this is the message from Genesis chapter 1. And while Genesis does give us insight into the, the order and the structure of the world and the days and the systems that God formed to place everything under his governance of creation, I need you to know that science is not the reason Moses wrote Genesis chapter 1. Moses wrote Genesis and the first five books as a reminder to Israel for who their God is and how to live faithful as his people. Faith and obedience. It all comes down to faith and obedience, and we know that because of the context. We know that because of the author and the audience, and that helps us find reason and meaning for the text. Which brings us up to the, uh, which is, sorry, which again is the second reason we must read through the leading of the Spirit with an understanding of context. And so, lastly, Um, 
If we wanna read the Bible right, then we must read it with the intention of application. So we read it through the Spirit, Spirit's inspiration, Spirit's translation. We read it smart with context, answering those questions. And then finally, we read it with the purpose of application. Now, what do I mean? Y'all, we do not read the Bible for just more information. We do not read the Bible for just more knowledge. Like we heard in Hebrews 4, we read the scripture for transformation. For transformation. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than, than, than a two-edged sword. And it has been given to us to show us how to live and be faithful, not to win Bible trivia. You following? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that God uses it to prepare us and equip us to do every good work. God doesn't want us to sit on these stories. He doesn't want us to sit on these instructions or this wisdom. He wants us to apply his word, to apply his word as a lamp to guide our feet and light our path as we follow him into the best life can be. And this is it. You will never be faithful with the information unless you choose to step into spirit-filled application. You will never be faithful with the information until you step into spirit-filled application. And I, and I would say that that's actually, for the majority of Christians, this is the biggest hurdle for Bible reading and why it becomes dry and lifeless for so many. Because we don't let it change us. We bring it in, but we don't let it change us. It doesn't become us. And so we tend to see it as this optional, abstract collection of facts instead of a real, spiritually transforming truth. But this is not, nor it has ever been, the dream that God has for his people. God's dream for you is rich with passion. God's dream for you is rich with excitement and purpose. God's dream for you is that you would not just know him and his story, but that the more you know him, the more you'd see your story in his. And this is how and why we read and prioritize and trust the Bible. This is why we confess that the Bible is the authority for truth and faith and conduct, because in the end, we have it. We have it, so we might become more like the one who gave it. And that was always the plan, from the first writings in the Old Testament to the final words in the New. It's always been to know what God is like and then to know how to live faithful in reply. And this is the Bible. This is the Bible. It's, it's what it is. It's a book of books. It's how we got it. It's why we read it and how. Now, I know, I know that we didn't cover everything. And I know that not every question you have might have been answered, and we can, we can dig it deeper into this in the coming weeks, but, but as we go, with all of this in mind, for what it is, how we got it, why we read it, and how, as we go, I'd like to just extend both an encouragement and a challenge to you as this church. As I said earlier, I believe that the Bible is good for you. I believe that it's good for your heart and mind. I believe it's good for your faith. It's good for society and culture. It's good for, for people who don't even believe. It's good for them. And I, and I don't know where you're at on your journey of faith today, but I can promise you that if you choose to prioritize reading your Bible the right way, if you, if you bring this into your life, your hope, your love, your joy and peace will grow. Your life will change. Why? Because you are literally welcoming the words of God into your heart and mind. 
Your life will change if you prioritize reading the scripture the right way. When the world is constantly shouting self-help, stress, and an abundance of bad news, this book will shift your perspective. It will change your outlook. It will help you again not to know God, but not just to know God, but to discover who you are in the process. And so here's the encouragement that I have for you and the challenge. I want to invite you to join me in reading the New Testament, the whole New Testament, over the, over the course of August. You should have seen these on your chairs. Pick one up if you got one, and let's wave it around like a fan. You can use it in the car to cool down before the AC kicks in after church, okay? Maybe you're just blowing hot air on yourself, but... I want, you, I want to invite you to join me in reading the New Testament in August. We got a, on the back, you can see the daily schedule starting tomorrow and finishing all the way down into August 30th. But I want to encourage you to grab it, bring it home, and let's read it. Read it on your phone. Read it uh, on an analog Bible like I got with me here today. You know, the paper Bibles, you know? If you need a Bible, we have some in our info area. Maybe you have a hard time reading. Maybe you literally just have a hard time reading. Maybe it's, it's hard for you to process words. And so hop on YouTube and Google Johnny Cash Reads the Bible. It is, in, it is incredible. By the way, he reads the whole Bible. It's amazing. But get in it. Bring the Word of God into your life and join me on this journey through the new witness of God's covenant work in Jesus and through the church. I dare you. Seriously, I dare you. It'll take about 20 minutes a day. And I know that that's time, no doubt. I know that sometimes it's a struggle to find 20 minutes. I get it. But let me just ask you this. Like, what is purpose worth to you? What is peace and joy worth to you? What is your family worth to you? What is love and patience and kindness worth to you? What is meaning? What is meaning worth to you? What is God worth to you? He's worthy of it all. He is worthy, so let's, let's do it. Let's be a church that values the scriptures for what it has done in the world, amen? We need to look at this book and say, wow, Jesus, you changed society through this. The world is different because of these pages, and we need to acknowledge that, that this is not just some passive text that dissolves into history, but it, it's forming a new future for the world. And it has been since the turn of our, of our calendars from B.C. to A.D. And so let us be a church that values the Scripture. Let's be a church that trusts the authority of the Bible to inform our faith and conduct, that everything in our behaviors, everything in our lives, everything in our passions now submits to Jesus through this book as the Word of God, the written Word of God. So let us be a church that trusts the authority of Scripture. Let's, let's be a church that reads the Bible so we might know God more, so we might know what God is like and how to be faithful to Him. And finally, let us be a church that reads the Bible right, through the Spirit, in context, and with application, so we might better know God and know how to be faithful. This is the way of Jesus. Let us follow Him. Amen? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to go get real steamy outside at some point. But let's, um, let's pray. Thanks for listening, by the way. If you have any questions or if you have any thoughts or if you want to dig deeper on this, maybe we can do a, um, a more in-depth where your Bible came from class this fall or something, if that would be interesting. But we can, we can dig into that more later. But thank you for listening, and let's, uh, let's hit it. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for today.
Thank you for all that you've taught us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for caring about us, God. Thank you for, for teaching us, even through the first five books, who you really are and who we are in reply. God, thank you for all of the faithful witnesses. Thank you for all of the letters. Thank you for all of the gospels. Thank you for all of your books, your book of books, God. We thank you for it so we might know you more and live faithful. God, we thank you for, for the first and second century councils all the way up into the formation of the canon. God, we thank you for the Reformation. We thank you for church history. God, we, we, we don't thank you for all of the ways that it was abused over history, God, but we celebrate that you have made good even out of our bad. God, that you have made all things come together for good so we could, so we could be here today and celebrate you knowing more about you through this book through the book that you inspired and you, and you crafted with faithful people, faithfully imperfect people, but God, you had your hand in the assembly and now you have your hand in the reception. And so God, we thank you for that. And we want to be faithful. God, we want to know you more and we want to live more faithful. We're not messing around. We're not here to be a social club. We're not here to win debates or Bible trivia, or if we make it on Jeopardy, that we get that whole column of Bible facts, God. That's not why we're here today, and it's not why we read. God, we read to know you more and to live more faithful. And so, God, focus our eyes this week. Focus our eyes this month. God, we, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd speak to us through the text, that you would teach us more about who God is and who we are in reply, that we might live faithful. So Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we thank you just that we could gather today in this wonderfully air-conditioned building. God, we thank you for, for putting us here in a time as this in the most incredible city in the known world, La Crescenta. God, we ask that your blessing would fall over this valley, that your blessing would fall over our homes. God, that your hand would touch each and every one of our hearts, that we would become more and more alive in you because of your presence and your commitment to us, your covenant movement in and through us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide us this week. God, that you continue to teach us and show us what it means to be faithful. And so God, it's in your name we pray. Jesus, the name that is above all names, that we pray and we all said, amen. amen. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you, had a, hope you have a great week. And um, join me, okay? Next week we'll do a little recap on this and then we can... Uh, we can keep on going. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.